0: liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get them off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows it's don't get treated like a hoe.
1: what's
2: up y'all Clint russell liberty lockdown back in the building I uh, obviously tonight I was supposed to be unveiling the mastermind behind the most viral tweet in LP history, Uh, certainly the most talked about tweet in LP history. Yeah, not going to happen. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you. However, I am going to do the next best thing. And that, my dear friends, is demonstrate to you exactly why Meghan McCain is fair game. That rhymed. Didn't mean to. But but I mean what I just said. She is fair game. By her own words, she's fair game. So everybody that's crying and you can't you can't mock someone when they're mourning a war criminal. I got some news for you. Yes, you can, and yes, you probably should. Um I'll get into it. Don't don't take my word for it. I got I got a case. I got a case to prove this out. If you disagree at the end, so be it. But I think you'll uh You'll come to my side on these things if you're, if you have been somewhat on the fence as to like whether or not she should be, uh, dragged in any form or fashion. Which, by the way, the LPNH tweet was directed at her father, hence, it was the fourth anniversary of his passing. The fact that it was a picture of her mourning, how else are you going to know that it's his casket? You're just going to put up a picture of his casket with the flag on it and be like, Happy, happy anniversary or happy holiday. It's kind of ridiculous. Anyway, so I'm going to show you guys because I think that it's important for, you know, those that aren't perennially perennially online to actually know what we're talking about here. And this is the tweet in question. The most evil tweet known to man. As you can see, I did like it. (laughs) This was sent out on August 25th from the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. And it says, happy holidays. And then all it has is the covered... Uh, you know, with the American flag casket of John McCain, with Megan crying over it, and uh, for the record, not a very popular tweet by many, many people that I would consider the more moderate, kind okay, of like conservative types. Uh, Sour Patch Lids over at TimCast said, "I'll absolutely never be okay with this, and we'll add this to my list of reasons why I'm not a libertarian." Now, let me start by saying, I, I don't, I don't revel in that. You know, I don't want to lose people that I think are to a large extent, libertarian. Uh, That's not, I don't think that should be the goal of our marketing is to push people away. Obviously, this tweet did push some people away. However, I think there are trade-offs where sometimes you're going to push people away, but you're also going to create a conversation that might either fire up the base or bring in people that you wouldn't have expected. For instance, I can't tell you how many based anti-war leftists dm me or in my replies when i was explaining the purpose behind this tweet saying we love this (laughs) you know you're you're dragging war criminals and war propagandists which they know even though apparently a lot of people don't know that megan mccain has been a professional warmongering propagandist on the view for many many years she's she no longer does that but doesn't change the fact that she did do that and uh we all know John McCain's legacy, so I'm not going to educate you on that. If, you, if you're if you not familiar, I'll just say this. There was never a war in his lifetime that he didn't advocate for. Like, none. And many of them we didn't end up doing. So all of the militarism that we've had in my lifetime, imagine, like, ten more wars on top of that. Because that's that's John McCain's worldview. Never a war he didn't want to be a part of. Which is odd, given that this man was in Vietnam, captured, tortured, and uh, and still never reflected on the fact that perhaps war is hell and you shouldn't put people through that except for the most extreme circumstances. There was never a circumstance mild enough for him to be like, all right, yeah, we don't really need that. So before I uh, I continue on, let me thank our sponsor for tonight's episode. That's Expat Money Summit. There's an upcoming online summit by my friend Mikel Thorpe from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend. Go to expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, legally, how and where to... Safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals Where the best countries are in the world To find freedom for yourself and your family How you can get a second passport To travel the globe without restrictions And get in and out of different countries' borders You'll also learn about a libertarian island haven Private cities, communities on the ocean And food and energy independent towns in Latin America Sounds lovely Register now for free For It's like a multi-day seminar It's online, cost you nothing Ron Paul will be speaking Just do this, just sign up You're going to want to hear this stuff, I promise you ExpatMoneySummit.com this is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Again, register now for free over at expatmoneysummit.com. Without further ado, let's hear from the, the lady of the hour. The lady of the night. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Here we go. So this is Megan on why she took the job at The View. Let's hear what she has to say.
3: Definitely, exactly what happened to me.
4: Why don't you, you, you tell the story that your dad encouraged you to take the job? Why?
3: He loved the show. He, you know, it's a mainstream show. And I do think it's important that we have to fight the culture war in their spaces, because quite frankly, I think we're losing it. And he thought that they needed a strong conservative. There had been a whole host of uh, Republican and so-called Republican women, women who claim to be Republican but are not, in my opinion, who had co-hosted the show and failed. And he thought...
2: I want you to note real quick that... Uh- She refers to herself as a strong Republican woman. Does she sound weak? Does she sound as if she's off off limits? Or is she actively throwing herself into the culture war? The culture war of which the libertarians are now attempting to fight. In the sense that we want people to realize that there is a huge portion of this country that opposes militarism. That opposes the military-industrial complex. That opposes her and her father's legacy of advocating for every war and that we will shame people that call for wars when they are not necessary, which is every war in my lifetime. So, and even if it weren't, even if like four of the five wars we've been in in my lifetime or however many there's been, I would still shame the person that was calling for the one that certainly wasn't necessary. They have not seen a war that they didn't support. So fair, ground is what I'm saying
3: thought I was up for the job and I did anything he told me to do. So uh, I did it.
2: (laughs) She's a very strong Republican woman who does whatever her father
0: tells her to do.
3: And I actually really enjoyed uh, the first year and a half of the show. Um, But like I said, as I grew stronger and more and more uh, people would come on the show and I would really hold liberal guests feet to the fire, I I felt a lot of backlash both internally and externally at the show. But
2: Keep in mind, too, that she refers to herself as the only woman of Republican ilk that had been on there that she considered to be a Republican because the others were weak. But what does she really mean by Republicanism? I mean, she's pretty progressive to a large extent, but the one thing for her that means a Republican woman is being pro-war, just like her daddy.
3: This shouldn't become as a surprise to you. I mean... You've, you, you know, you've seen the show. I think anyone who has watched even a clip of... Listen, I used Titan to do the show. ...would not be surprised by anything I'm saying.
4: I, I remember you the did. last time I did the show. I did. The last time I did the show, I was sitting next to Rosie O'Donnell, and it became
2: a screaming match. And, was, and Barbara... Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, you get the point. So she is, she consciously decided to put herself into the political realm. If you do that, if you're a talking head on TV, d- daytime TV indoctrinating wine moms into being warmongers. Not a good conversion, by the way. Not a huge fan of a wine mom, way less of a fan of a wine mom warmonger. It's a terrible combination. And that's what her job was. Her job was up there to basically be a a whipping boy for conservatism, but most importantly, to still propagate the war propaganda. No, thank you. Not a big fan. So a lot of people... We're totally stunned that libertarians had any beef with her as if this was just strictly about us mocking the, the misery, the grief of a daughter who lost a father, anyone. This is the thing that I want to really emphasize. Anyone can relate to that. Anyone has lost a loved one unless you're very young and very lucky. All of us have lost a loved one that was very close to us and it's tragic and it hurts like hell. So. That is not what we're mocking. At least that's not how I read it. And I think that's that wasn't the intent behind it. And for that alone, the fact that it landed with so many people thinking that was the intent, I think that's where you can get into some disagreement or some discussion as to whether or not it should have been sent. I'll grant you that. Now, let me also say, that wasn't the spirit with which it was sent from my vantage point. It was strictly about shifting the culture to no longer uh worshiping at the altar of fallen warmongers. I really think that's strictly what this this tweet is about. That's that's what this battle is about is trying to get people to stop idolizing these these political figures and believing that they can do no wrong, especially after they've passed. I mean, we certainly don't do that with uh you know, foreign warmongers, Hitler, Stalin, Mao. You, you don't look up to any of those people we all acknowledge like just because you're an american politician that passed away we don't have to honor you if you do evil things while you're in power we're going to shame you at least from the libertarian vantage point we are going to shame you the same we would any other war criminal in history no matter what country they came from so let's get into uh, a real damning clip as to her most recent politics. This is this was just just after January sixth. So this'll blow your mind. If you haven't seen this one, I think you'll understand exactly why I am not a fan, to put it mildly. Yes. They, they,
5: they could, yeah, they he could was convicted still do it. If he was but convicted, let's remember yeah. let's remember well, that I, they were I able to put forth really, a Supreme Court justice within a week. They can yeah. still do it. There's right. nothing in the constitution that prevents them from impeaching, yes, remove convicting, well, and removing but but here's, it, and, but on here's for the, uh January twentieth. On, on that note, here's you should problem. be treating these domestic. He is not terrorists. going
3: to be sorry, I can't it's hard to <laughs> I just that's all right. I, I just think we need but to treat the, the domestic way. terrorists the way we do actual terrorists. I think we need to consider all, all, all right. possibilities. I'm not against sending these people to Gitmo and that may sound extreme. These are domestic terrorists who attacked our own Republic. They should be treated the same way we treat Al Qaeda.
2: Boom. There you have it. let hear it one more time.
3: I can't. It's hard to, I just, that's all right.
2: I, I, I just say. think we but need to treat the, the domestic way.
3: terrorists the way we do actual terrorists.
2: We need to treat domestic terrorists the way we do actual terrorists. Now, mind you, she's just talking about the January 6th protesters. Were they domestic terrorists? Be honest with yourself. Whatever your political viewpoint are. Domestic terrorists. They didn't kill anybody. I think almost like 99.9% of them weren't armed. I've heard differing reports as to whether or not there was a handful of guys that were actually armed. As far as I know, no one inside the Capitol was armed. So how can you possibly have an insurrection with no one inside the Capitol that's armed? The only people that died were the protesters themselves. Then you had a cop that had a heart attack or a stroke and he died a day later, a sickness. So, I mean, that's a very loose use of the word domestic terrorist, is it not? Is that not exactly in alignment with what the Biden administration is doing where they're trying to make it sound as if, any one of the gop any one of the the you know ultra maga ilk is a domestic terrorist seems like she's playing along with that that program does it not is that someone you want to ally yourself with or or concern yourself with their their feelings no i'm not really interested in doing that let's hear the end of that because it's important
3: I think we need to consider all all, all possibilities. I'm not against sending these people to Gitmo, and that may sound extreme. These yes. are domestic terrorists who attacked our own republic. They should be treated the same way we treat Al-Qaeda.
2: I'm not opposed to sending these people to Gitmo. They're domestic terrorists. And we should treat them the same way we treat Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, which, allegedly, was solely responsible for the attacks on 9-11. So, does that sound like some God-fearing Constitution-thumping Republican to you? Because it doesn't to me. Let me just remind you what happens in Gitmo. We put people in there. We labeled them detainees as opposed to prisoners because we knew that under the Geneva Convention, it would be a war crime to hold someone without trial. So we labeled them detainees. Pure semantic game to get around uh, any sort of uh, international criminal court. And then we kept these guys in there and tortured them for decade plus some of them. Absolutely horrific. Absolutely horrific what happened. Many of them were just like dirt farmers. They, cause they were being sold. Uh, I don't know if you haven't ever looked into this, I know a little bit about it, but many of these guys, there was bounties that were put out for people that would turn in Al Qaeda members. So many of the poor people in Afghanistan just said, I don't like that neighbor. That dude's Al Qaeda. And then they put him on a plane, blindfolded him, threw him in Gitmo for a decade plus, some of them. That's what she wants to do to your fellow Americans that protested, for the most part, peacefully on January 6th. And all of them that were inside the Capitol were unarmed. Does this sound like a, a person that's even worth beginning to defend? Because to me, she strikes me as deeply evil, deeply evil. And this is where I wanted to differentiate. You know, we're not holding her accountable for the crimes of her father. From my vantage point, I'm holding her accountable for the crimes of her propaganda. Now, maybe it's not criminal, maybe it's just a moral, you know, blemish blight. Um, but you know, as Malice says, it's like until the average American sees uh uh god i can't remember the language exactly but it was basically uh, a media pundit the same as they do a tobacco executive the battle's not won i see her this way i mean her job is to push against civil liberties she's calling for people of her own party mind you republicans to be put in gitmo gitmo no trial and torture happen in Gitmo. She knows that. She absolutely knows that. You want to defend her? Be my guest. Seems pretty fucking stupid to me though. We got another clip from her because this just keeps getting better, I swear to God. She's not a good person. Have I told you that yet? Okay, here we go. Uh, this is from my friend Natalie. She says, this is just a reminder Megan McCain hopes Julian Assange rots in hell and called him a cyber terrorist. Here we go.
3: Actually prosecuted. Us. The politics of this have always been uh, completely hypocritical yeah. on both sides. Eric Holder under Obama decided against pursuing persecution of Assange of concerns that WikiLeaks was, quote, a journalistic organization that would raise First Amendment issues. Uh, Chelsea Manning was granted clemency.
2: Note that she puts in quotes a journalistic organization. This lady doesn't believe in the Bill of Rights at all. So what is she conserving exactly?
3: See, Chelsea Manning in 2010 released 750,000 classified and sensitive military documents uh-huh. that put our national security at list uh-huh. under the Obama administration. Uh, she was given clemency. Yes. This is something that a lot of people who have put national security at first, I put myself in that category, have been warning about and warning about and warning about. Uh-huh. And the only time the Democrats started caring is when it started affecting them politically and Hillary Clinton's emails were released. Okay. And-
2: Let me just add real quick that... She said national security is what she puts first and foremost. That is strict neoconservatism. That's not republicanism. That's not conservatism. That is strict neoconservatism. A dying ideology in this country, thank God. But it's no mistake that someone of her ideology is put on national TV day after day. It's not a mistake. So take the gloves off when you see people like this. Their job is to propagandize us into war.
3: John
5: Podesta's emails were released. Does anybody, I for one what's one... going to happen with him?
3: That's my So question. here's here's the, the biggest I
0: hope he problem. rots in hell, starting yeah. with that. Yeah.
2: Can I I hope he rots in hell, talking about Julian Assange, in my opinion, the greatest reporter or journalist or whatever you want to call him, of my lifetime, who highlighted more of our war crimes than any other journalist by far. And why does she hate him? for that exact reason because he highlighted the evil that exists within our military industrial complex and what we do overseas and she cannot abide that so she hopes he rots in hell libertarians out there defending her good idea great decision
5: Um, you know i i think that um If you have a problem with Julian Assange and what he released in terms of national security, then you need to have a problem with the Pentagon Papers. You need to have a problem with the Panama Papers. You need to have a problem with the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, war logs being released because those items being released, I think protected our democracy. And the reason that the Obama administration and Eric Holder uh, decided not to punt, but decided that our constitution protected Julian Assange is because our constitution does protect Julian Assange. Because-
2: hey now, someone that actually cares about civil liberties, even though she's reading notes, so she probably doesn't even believe this. But regardless, I, was, I appreciated the lip service there.
5: Because our constitution, I, I'm sorry. on me. Back hard uh, uh, you can push.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to push back hard on this. Megan interjects.
5: After I'm finished speaking, the Constitution <laughs> protects freedom of the press. It is our first amendment to the Constitution because I believe it's our most important amendment. So it is very clear that the Constitution protects information, investigative journalism, even if that information is. Is gotten illegally, even if that information is matter of national security. Okay. I think what you said was just straight
3: propaganda, just so we're clear. I'm well, if sorry. the law is propaganda, I'm sorry. It is not, I'm sorry. They're not First Amendment. He was a cyber terrorist from day one, which is how we got in the situation we're in right now. You released 750,000 classified or sensitive information that put our military at risk, that put our spies at risk, that put our diplomats at risk. And I'm sorry, but Democrats only started caring once it started implicated Hillary Clinton. And I am very consistent on this issue for years. And again,
2: I grant you that you are consistent on this issue, but Julian Assange was sent that information and it wasn't sent by Russia. He received it and he published it. And there's been no evidence that any of our you know, confidential informants and things like that were actually harmed by that release for the record. So once again, just demonstrating she doesn't believe in the bill of rights. She doesn't believe in the constitution. Is that someone we should be defending? Or is that an enemy of ours as people that value our civil liberties and the Bill of Rights? I would argue that makes her an enemy. Just my two cents. Uh, But, you know, even though I don't think that she's a constitutional scholar, she thinks she's a constitutional scholar and she has hard evidence to prove it. So let let me prove it to you right here.
3: Me of the constitution on my nightstand, Good. so please don't talk to me about the constitution.
2: <laughs> I take it all back, Megan. I apologize. I didn't know that you had a constitution on your nightstand, uh, so I shouldn't be talking to you about the constitution. My sincere apologies, uh, but she's actually said crazier things in her career, believe it or not. Let me show you one of those. This is probably. The most off the wall thing she's ever said, but in some ways the most true, I think, arguably.
4: Before my father died, I had a baby with him, and we're going to, it will be raised in captivity. It'll be raised privately, to be the greatest politician that has ever lived. My name is Meghan McCain, and I'm on a news show called The View. And Donald Trump, that fucking riverboat casino captain, is talking (laughs) shit about my father again. My father was tortured for a hundred years for this fucking country. And he came back and he started seven wars, because he's a gentleman. Fuck you, Trump. I'm gonna wear my father's skin mask, and I'm gonna primary Trump from the right. Come on The View, bitch. If you're that tough, come on The View. You want another to get a Cortez? You want this shit? You want to fuck these tits, Trump? You want to fuck these tits? No, you don't. You want to suck.
2: <laughs> I don't think it might taken off, but I think you can guess what he was about to say there. I mean, what she was about to say there, probably the most unhinged rant she's ever gone on, if I'm being honest. Um, very disturbing. Just genuinely. I was I was disturbed by that one. Uh, I mean, I appreciate the passion. I appreciate that she's ride or die for her father at all costs, even at reputational damage. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you're not familiar, it's Tim Dillon. He's one of my favorite comics. And that is a legendary moment. But we got more from Megan. That was just a brief comedic interlude because I figured at some point this might get uh, a little too depressing. So let's hear hear more from Miss McCain.
3: Calling these places torture facilities, I understand it is a humanitarian crisis. It's her-
2: let, let me give you some, uh, some preface for this, this clip. She is talking about the kids in cages under the Trump administration. <laughs> and she's upset with them being referred to as torture facilities. So she's playing a semantic game. And I think you can probably guess what she's going to bring up for the reason why she's so bothered by it
3: horrific to detain, and like you said, people in jail get soap, and people in jail get toothpastes, excuse me, toothpaste. But <laughs> I know what a torture facility looks like. I've been to one. But I know. To listen to one. me. Excuse me. When you have a facility whose specific purpose is to torture people, that is not what's going on. Yes, it's inhumane. But there is a big difference between the Hanoi Hilton and what's happening. Well, at we the should border be less right concerned now. about what we're calling them than what what is happening inside of. But hyperbole,
5: I don't think. It our well, kids are dying inside of them. Well, we shouldn't the mantle for what we're calling them. Well, we I think care about the dead kids.
3: Well, I did that think, have come out of them. Well, my father couldn't lift me up above his head as a child because of his torture wounds. So I do think hyperbole is important. But that was a war, In a way, and they were grown. But torture, St. Colin, I had such a problem with this. A torture facility. It, there, the, and, a big, I'm say not one, saying it's not Let me say this one thing. What? What do I say? Wait.
2: You get the point she sucks. <laughs> she just absolutely sucks. So she brings up her dad. My, my father couldn't lift me over his head because he was tortured. I mean, there were, there were children that died in these facilities. They, I mean, they did, Were they tortured. I mean, many of them just laid on floors for weeks on end. They were separated from their parents. I think it's fair to some people could argue that that's torturous. I don't know if it's, it's certainly not on the scale that, uh, the Hanoi Hilton pushed out, but anyways, we got more from Megan. This, this lady's an endless well of gems. So let's, uh, let's keep this party moving, huh?
3: The America of John McCain is yes. The America of Vietnam fighting the fight, even in the most forlorn cause, even in the most grim circumstances, even in the most distant and hostile corner of the world. Standing even defeat for the life and liberty of other peoples in other lands.
2: I just wanted to point out saying that the Vietnam War was about standing for life and liberty. I mean, apex revisionism. Apex. Whose life and liberty were we standing up for in Vietnam? It's just, it's a crying shame. It's a crying shame that she would even try that. But this is the world she lives in. Now, let's remind you briefly of some of her father's gems, because we haven't forgot John. After all, that was the the point of the tweet from its inception, even though people don't want to pay attention to that. Here's John on Iran. I don't know if you could hear that there, but he says, bomb, 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 Iran. That's, that's his... Great humor about dropping bombs. And his legacy, as I've already detailed out to some extent, was just consistent fear-mongering and a demand for further wars. Even with his track record, even with his history, that's all he ever wanted. That was his entire purpose in the Republican Party. He was at the tip of the spear when it came to pushing Republicans along with Lindsey Graham for more wars. So, you know the war that we're most concerned with these days? Ukraine and Russia? Yeah. Check this out. We got Lindsey Graham and John McCain in Ukraine in December of 2016. Listen to this.
4: Your fight is our fight. (inaudible) 2017 will be the year of offense. (inaudible) All of us will go back to Washington And we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. I believe you will win. I am convinced you will win.
2: That was Lindsay. Now this is John McCain.
4: We will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win.
2: We will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win. How many billions have we sent them this year? Would they have ever even gotten into this conflict if not for the explicit promises from some of the most prominent, prominent congressmen in America? Would this have even transpired? Ask yourself that. I think any honest person would tell yourself no, no, because Russia has nukes. Ukraine does not. If it weren't for us supplying them with all sorts of new modern technology, as well as, you know, just common standard munitions and things of that nature, they'd stand no chance. The whole reason this happened was because of the American government. Anyone who's looked into it will, will tell you the same. But if you haven't looked into it, this is a great example. 6 years ago, them oiling the the gears to get this thing moving
4: forward. Thank <laughs> you.
2: so there you have it having a little photo op giving a little pep rally a little pep talk to the troops in ukraine getting them juiced up to go to war good stuff right so we still are suffering john mccain's legacy still to this day so yeah i'm not gonna let up i'm not gonna forget and forgive and keep in mind, too, Megan has consistently defended every single war that her dad advocated for, as well as every policy they advocated for, as well as going one step further, because luckily for us, John McCain wasn't still alive after January 6th, but I'm sure had he been, he would have been standing there right next to her saying, we should label these people domestic terrorists and throw them in Gitmo, too. Is this a family that should have you should have any respect for whatsoever? If you saw the the children of Adolf Hitler, would you, uh, if they were crying at his cast, you might have a little sympathy, right? Now, what if they're a 40-year-old woman and they've spent the next 15 years arguing on behalf of Nazism? Would you still have tremendous sympathy when he passed? My answer is no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And I think that this kind of gets to the heart of the matter is that I think people, they don't take our, they don't take our war crimes seriously. And that's really what I learned through all this is like, I don't think the vast majority of Americans. I mean, I already knew this, but a lot of people in the Liberty sphere, they don't take it seriously. They don't, they don't actually deeply care in my opinion. And I know that sounds harsh and I don't say it lightly. I wish I didn't feel this way, but that's the vibe I get. You know, if you're, if you're so concerned about the emotions of people who have broken this country, I mean, economically broken, how many troops have killed themselves because of the wars that we've been in? It's a lot. It's more than have happened in warfare, which in some ways is a good thing, because that means we're not losing, you know, a crazy amount of troops at, in war, but that's really a product of the fact that oh, there's lightning in the background. Cool. Uh that's really a, a product of the fact that, you know, technologically we've advanced so much and so much more of our warfare is via drones, which obviously with a drone, you're not going to lose American troops, right? But you sure as hell are going to lose a lot of innocent civilians. And that's the modern iteration of war. Way less casualties on our side, way more casualties on their side, and an ever increasing amount of innocent civilians that get killed. And I don't look at that as tremendous progress not saying that I don't value the American lives more. I probably do, I guess, maybe. Um, But I still very much value the innocents that die. And I I feel like a lot of people don't. I feel like their lives don't really matter to these people. It strikes me as racist. And you know I don't say that often because I joke about racist stuff all the time. And I think um, way too many people call things racist when they're not. But I, I really do believe that if if you don't actually care enough about the peop- the innocent people that are dying over in the Middle East because of people like John McCain and his daughter's work in propagandizing the American people to justify us and going and bombing them consistently for the past twenty years, it seems a little racist to me. It really does. I can't believe I'm even saying it, but that's that's what it strikes me as. It strikes me as a racist viewpoint or at the very minimum a you know nationalistic one or you just simply don't care about foreigners that much it seems like you don't care about them very much at all to be honest and that's okay you know if you don't you don't you don't know these people it's human not to care about strangers that you've never met um, but it when you when you oppose war generally you are really I think you're a really feeling, like a deeply feeling person, uh, kind of an empathetic person. And the fact that so many of you that advocate against war, but then don't have a lot of animosity towards the people that have pushed us into them consistently our entire lives. That's weird to me. I don't get it. I really don't. I don't get it. And again, I am separating her track record from her father's her father more evil there's no doubt about it okay but after watching the clips of her over the past half an hour does she not also share some moral culpability for this stuff a little bit I would say a little bit yeah I would say enough that a meme is justifiable sorry I'm making the case I'm making the case you can disagree it's okay you don't have to agree um, but I really do. I, I believe that. I believe that they're when when you see people that are pushing such evil policies, at some point you have to say, Okay, I'm going to shame you for this. It's like people are especially in the libertarian space, they like they talk about all sorts of violent stuff that they would do to pedophiles and things of that nature. Right. You hear it all the time. There's memes all the time. I, I don't ever see anybody saying like, oh, we shouldn't meme these people. That's rude. It's like, do you know what new conservatism has done? Millions of dead people. Do you know how many kids were in that? Probably a quarter of it at least. So a half a million dead children. How about the Yemeni kids that are starving to death right now? Do you actually care about them? I don't think you really do. And I'm not even trying to shame you here. I'm just trying to get you to like reflect a little bit more deeply on your outlook, your belief system. Like, is this just a game to you? Is this a virtue signaling process? Because to me, it really, like, it really hurts me emotionally. When I think about what's happening in Yemen, I know that sounds ridiculous. And for you, maybe it is ridiculous. Maybe you don't feel that way. That's okay. But I would recommend you, I don't know, watch a documentary do something to to humanize these people if you've never tra- traveled overseas do that i spent about a month in europe uh, about a decade ago got to meet a lot of really cool people in in foreign countries and traveled all over the place and saw a lot of different spots and um i think the major the major thing that you get from that other than having a great time is that uh, it humanizes the rest of the world because if you've never been overseas it just they're kind of like they're they're in your imagination, you know, they're, they're whatever stereotype you think of them to be as. Um, but in my experience, like you go around and you meet these people of all sorts of different cultures and languages and you come away concluding like, oh, we're all the same. Like we're all the same thing. And I think what it does is it, it diminishes the gap between us when we view geopolitical discussions or debates where you go, oh yeah, I don't want to bomb these people. Cause I know they're just people like me and that would suck. Like, if if they were bombing, you know, my neighbors or my family or myself, I'd be really upset. But it seems like there's a real disconnect when it comes to, well, they're bombing over there. That's not me. Not my problem. It's a big big issue. It's a really big issue. Because I think that's the, the primary reason that our government now feels as if they have carte blanche to do whatever they want with their military industrial complex. Why they can... No longer even vote to declare wars. We've been in war my entire life. Never once has Congress done its job and declared a war. Never once. If you had an active populace that demanded that your representatives do their fucking job, their, their most basic job, which is to declare war, like the most grave duty imaginable to actually put your name on that piece of paper. We're going to war. We're going to go kill people. Because that's what it is. Let's, you know, even even calling it war kind of like disconnects it from its reality. It means you're going to tear flesh from children's bodies. That's what war is. 99% of the time, there's going to be kids that die in those wars. As hard as it is to face, as tragic as it is to think about, that's what war really is. We don't even have Congress people, you know, representatives that that vote on this shit anymore. We just have National Defense Authorization Acts, and boom, Bob's your uncle. We can go to war forever. Very cool. I mean, we—I'm not—I'm not exaggerating. We haven't had a, a declared war in sixty years. <laughs> it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I think it's this is part of, you know, uh, Caitlin Johnston, uh, Johnstone she's she's written some incredible pieces and obviously I disagree with her deeply because she's essentially a communist, but man, when she talks about anti-war stuff, you can tell she feels it. She feels it in a way that I don't see many libertarians feeling it. Like It's sincere, for sure. You can just sense it. And I think that the point that she brings up that I, I also want to drive home is that I'm not sure that we're like, I know we're all aware that we're being propagandized, but I don't think that Everyone is really taking in how impactful it has been on your view of the world. Like the the fact that we have dehumanized people overseas to the to the point that we see them is so different from us, or that we can we can just go like, yeah, we've been at war for 20 years. That sucks. You know, gotta go to work. Like that's something there's something there's something wrong with that. Something evil about it. And I think it stems from our media, Megan McCain being a member of that process. Does she does she bear all of the responsibilities? Certainly not. Do I think that she's actually getting paid to just po- propagate CIA talking points? I don't actually. I think these are her sincere beliefs, which I guess makes it better or worse. I don't know which. Um, I think she's sincere though, and I think I think that uh, you know John McCain was sincere too. I think there are people that are that are just dead set in the belief that there is evil in the rest of the world and we must go blow it up that's how they view things whereas I'm of the belief that there is evil in the rest of the world and sending evil after it doesn't really help people and if you ask people in Libya or Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan today did it help them the answer 90 plus percent of the time is going to be absolutely not It hurt us terribly, destroyed our infrastructure, created civil wars, created a power vacuum, toppled one bad guy and put four in his place. That's usually what transpires when our military goes overseas. And these people don't ever reflect on it. It's just like, well, we got to get Saddam out of power. Well, we got to get Bin Laden. We got to get Gaddafi. We got to get Putin. Do they ever really extrapolate? Do they think about the tribal differences? in Iraq, you're going to have Sunnis and Shias going after each other for, for you know, decades afterwards? No. They don't really talk about that stuff. They don't really think about it. And when shit just falls apart after they're done, do they ever reflect on their priors and say, hey, maybe that wasn't a good idea? No, they don't, because they're already on to the next one. They're already spreading democracy to Ukraine or whatever. It's sick, man. It's sick. And uh, I didn't mean to get so sentimental on this one, but it, I just really want to challenge people. I want to challenge you guys to like really look in your hearts. Is this something you actually care about? I hope the answer is yes. I hope most of you listening are going, yes, Clint, I fucking, yes, I am actually anti-war and yes, I think about the, you know, hundreds of thousands of children that are literally starving to death right now in Yemen. Yes. I think about that. It breaks my heart. Yes. I'm committed to this process. Yes, I'm committed to, you know, speaking up and and trying to with my limited power to to make sure that this ends as soon as possible. then good. This message isn't for you. This message is for people that looked at that meme of her crying over her warmongering father's casket with a pithy joke like happy holidays and thought to themselves, "I need to chime in. I need to defend this woman." Why? That's all I'm asking. Dave Smith said on my show in my most recent episode, don't ever do the bidding of the regime. Like it or not, Meghan McCain is part of that regime. Her father was very close to being the president of the United States. She spent years propagating wars. Don't do the bidding of the regime. Do not come to the defense of war criminals and war propagandists. I think that's a very minimal ask. Now, do you have to be the type that shares the meme? Or post crazy memes yourself? Or even says anything vocally? No. No, you don't. In fact, I wouldn't have posted the meme. I am one of you. Where I think that it, ultimately it's not the best messaging. Perhaps. So I'm not going to go down that lane. But that's my sensibility. I also recognize that there are differences of opinion. And there are things that land differently with different people. That to me is just a half a step too far. Not crazy over the line, but a half a step. I wouldn't have done it. That's just how that's how I look at things. But at the same time, I recognize that lands differently with different people. That tweet had over 11,000 likes. And over 10 million impressions. It's one of the most viewed and talked about tweet in Libertarian Party history. Probably, I mean, certainly top five. Maybe number one, I don't know. Now, is all publicity good publicity? No. I'm not saying that either, but I'm just saying when you're talking about something as serious uh, serious as this, I think that getting people to shake them, shake them from their slumber, to have them pay attention for even a split moment, what I would have liked to see is that instead of condemning it and calling it disgusting as Justin Amash and Spike Cohen and others came out and said, use it as an opportunity to explain why there's such anger towards these people. I think that would have been much more productive. Now, I know their whole critique is, well, this meme wasn't productive. Okay, sure. Say I grant you that. What's the productive thing to do now? Is it to shame your own allies, the people that that are fiercely anti-war like you allegedly are? Or is it to explain why someone like Meghan McCain and most importantly her father are not people we should defend? I I think that if you can reflect on it the latter option would have been the most productive that we could have used that, that moment to explain our belief system, why we are the only people in this country that are actually opposed to militarism. I think that was an opportunity and a lot of people blew it. That's my honest opinion. I got a little bit more, but before I get into that, let me thank our last sponsor tonight. And that is CareerHackers.com. If you are in the job market already, or if you are in a job where you're just not feeling so hot about it, feeling like you might want to do something else, maybe you're not making enough money, maybe your boss is treating you like crap, maybe they've been treating you like crap for a couple of years, either way, go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the daily job hunt, it's a once daily email that will hit your inbox every morning, give you some information on how to stand out in the job crowd, make sure that you're the best job applicant so you can go get the job of your dreams, and it also gives you some tidbits on how to Uh, go down the entrepreneurial path if that's for you. And I hope it is. Again, go to careerhackers.com. So I'm not going to forget Mr. Joe Biden and all this. We got a a really stunning clip. And and the reason I wanted to do this is because I don't want this to just be a, a partisan bash fest. I'm not just strictly bashing Republicans. Democrats are also neoconservatives. I mean, they call themselves neoliberals or whatever, but same general concept. They're, both, you know, two sides of the same let's bomb everyone coin. So we got Joe Biden caught on Mike, as he always is, over the years, just lying through his teeth about his history with the Iraq war. Here we go.
4: Moment shock and all started from that moment. I was opposed to the effort, and I was outspoken. The, the rationale was that's the way to not go to war, because I didn't believe he had those nuclear weapons. I didn't believe he had those weapons of mass destruction. I trusted George Bush to keep his word. He said he was not going to go into Iraq. He said he was only using this to unite the United Nations, to insist we get inspectors in to see what Saddam was doing.
2: <laughs> so this is after no WMDs were found. Joe Biden said this.
5: Several well, senior people in the administration, the president, the vice president, made pretty definitive statements that there were weapons of mass destruction there. You all voted, both you and Senator Luger, for war authorization last October. I think based in part, at least on these intelligence estimates or assessments, do you feel you were misled in any way?
4: No. Look, here's where I start. There was a cataloging of the amount, the numbers of leaders of VX, Seren Ga- I mean, all the all these biological or mainly chemical weapons that was done by the uh, international community at the UN under Mr. Butler in 1998. It was clear that Saddam had these things. Every member of the Security Council knew it and the burden was on him to demonstrate he had destroyed them. He did not do that. I have no doubt he had the weapons and I had no doubt the burden was on his. The ultimate reason why most people voted to go to war was the totality of the circumstances he laid out and not the notion of whether or not they had weaponized or not weaponized had nuclear or not i think to the extent that was hyped by some in the administration it was for public consumption and try
2: i want you to hear that again
4: the reason that was hyped is why that was hyped by some in the administration it was for public consumption and try to get public support
2: admitting exactly what we all know to be true propaganda folks
4: remember that kept fluctuating it kept fluctuating one day it would be 48 percent of the people and 54 percent. and i think uh, all administrations tend to do that i remember the first gulf war we heard all this about babies being killed in kuwait and the like that wasn't the reason we went to kuwait but it was sort of icing on the cake to deal with public opinion i think (laughs) i mean
2: come on just transparent warmongering liars. That's our current president when he was still able to speak. And this is the type of stuff that these people do, man. And my vantage point, anyone who is on the record, having done that lying to cause the mass death of innocent people. Am I going to celebrate when they die? You're goddamn right. I am. Am I going to make them die? No, I will not. I'm a peaceful person. However, when war criminals die, I don't cry. <laughs> I don't know why I keep rhyming. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to do this, but I'm just being honest with you. Like, these people have caused so much suffering, man. It's like when you see a serial killer that gets put to death, you might be like, I don't support the death penalty. Okay, I don't either, actually. But I'm not, like, bummed that they're gone, right? Like, if you have a serial killer of kids... Which is what basically every neoconservative amounts to. You're going to cry for them? You're going to defend them? You're going to defend their legacy in any form or fashion? No! I'm going to try and condemn it and shame it to the point that hopefully everyone around me knows, hey, this is not a popular thing to do. Going to war and killing innocent people by the droves, not a cool thing to do. Okay? Ain't cool, bro. It's just shit ain't cool. I mean... <sighs> good Lord. They're so, they're so bad. And, and I think what bothered me the most about this is like, we now have uh, such a propagandized populace that we're like, we're playing right into their hands by going after each other. You know, like we have the whole, the whole apparatus, the whole regime, the whole cathedral, as Michael Malice calls it, is stacked against us. Right. Why are we going to tear each other apart? because we messaged too aggressively for your taste. Is that a reason for us to go and crucify each other, to drag each other to, to publicly state it's disgusting? Like if you have a critique, call the person up, talk to them. Like if you have that capacity, I'm granted, not all of you do, but you know, the, the political establishment that came out and instantly condemned that tweet as if it was the most disgusting thing they had ever seen even though I know all of these people are familiar with John McCain's legacy and could look up videos of children being blown to bits because of stuff he's pushed for. Now, this is the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Huh? Is it? I'm fans of these people, too. This is what bothers me the most about it. I love Spike. I love Justin Amash. You know how I feel about Dave Smith. He's my my homeboy. He's my daddy. I'm just kidding. Uh, I love all these people. So I'm not even trying to, like, really drag them. I'm just trying to, like, speak to them. Hey, you got beef with some messaging? Take it up with the person that sent it, man. Try, try and be on the public level. Let's try and stick together a little bit, huh? Let's try not to use it as an opportunity to, to demonstrate that, no, we're, we're still of the respected class. These people don't respect you. They're never going to respect you. You are their enemy. You know that. And they are ours, like it or not. They are. These people oppose everything we believe in. They don't represent the bill. They don't respect the Bill of Rights at all. They certainly aren't anti war at all. Complete inverse, in fact. These people aren't our allies. Do not seek their respect. I thought we were all on the same page with this. I thought that's what the whole Michael Malice's press secretary was about was that we weren't going to play into these people's hands. That we understood that no matter what we did, they were going to diminish us, laugh at us, keep us off the debate stage, keep us off the ballots. That's their whole game. They're never going to play fair. Why are you trying to play fair? Why are you trying to keep it like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not radical. Yes, you are. You oppose war, bro. You're like the most radical thing that exists in this country, unfortunately. It shouldn't be radical, but you are. You want the government to be abolished. You're a radical. Even if you want to reduce by 90% or 80% or 50%, you are a fucking radical. To your core, you're radical as hell. Stop trying to play the respectability game. Don't publicly shame our people. It's not, it's not beneficial in any form or fashion. Please, for the goodness sake. And one last clip to really drive the point home about how propagandized we are. And you all know this, but let me give you some historical footage as to exactly how severe this is and how absolutely playing into their hands we are. In
4: 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, When certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist tolerance organizations to discredit them. Hey, SPLC, shout out. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind.
2: There you have it. There you have it. That's what they're doing. This is why... All, everyone listening to this has probably been called a Nazi, a fascist, uh, whatever the other one he said, oh, anti-Semitic over the past couple years. We are deep in this game, folks, deep. They call us that because it has a negative connotation and because we don't want to be called that because we aren't those things. But you know what? They know we aren't. That's not the game here. The communists sent out a book in the 1940s to all American communists telling them, to label their opponents these terrible things. they didn't. St- Fortunately for us, they're really dumb, so they didn't start reading and using it aggressively until about 2018. But <laughs> they're now using it very aggressively, so much so that these people have risen to the highest levels of power within our own government, and they are using this language to label their political opponents. Ultra MAGA, they're now fascist light, is from the President of the United States is talking like this. It's the highest level, folks. This is the highest level it could possibly get. They're labeling 70 plus million of us. And that that's just the Republicans. You include the libertarians, you got another 5 or 10 million. So we're like talking 80 plus, maybe 90 million plus some of those people that don't vote. Let's say 100 million. Just make it a nice round number. 100 million people in this country are fascists or white supremacists or Nazis or insurrectionists or whatever. You're playing in their hands. You know the game now. Are you going to keep letting them play you? Are you going to learn how to play it yourself? Go pick up Rules for Radicals. Read Saul Alinsky. Understand the mechanisms by which they're controlling you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to understand it. Because it doesn't seem like everybody really understands this stuff yet. That's my honest opinion. I'm Clint Russell. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And if you want to pick up a Liberty Lockdown shirt, go to toplopsters.com. All the links will be in the description below. I uh, I appreciate you guys. Make sure you tune in for the debate between Sticks and Dave Smith on Trump's legacy on January, or excuse me, January, September 4th, I think, Sunday, early morning. Um, it's going to be an amazing one. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope I made a case that at least explained my perspective on this. As I said from the get-go, you don't have to agree. You could disagree totally. And as I've said, that messaging may not be right for you. It's not even right for me. I wouldn't have sent it out, as I've said. Um, But I think that we need to realize the moment that we're living in and, and try and do a better job of reaching out directly to the people you have a critique of. And don't try and capitalize when you can see, like, I know, I know you guys can see what they're getting at. They're trying to denigrate the legacy of neoconservatives. Is that not something we can all get behind? I think it is. So if you see that and you can understand their heart, because I know, you know, their heart, they're not trying to make fun of someone's, you know, mourning of their own father, you know, that. So think about what they're actually trying to do. Like give them the benefit of the doubt and then reach out directly. If you have a critique, that's all I'm asking. I think that's a good, that's a good lesson, not just for the people I'm talking to now, but for myself too. If I see something that bothers me, go to the source. Try not to backstab. Try not to talk behind each other's backs. Try not to, you know, build coalitions against one another. We don't have time for that shit. We got a whole big-ass coalition against us already. Do we not? Do we need to fight against each other? I think not. I'm out. We got four more five-star reviews before I get out of here. Also, I actually, as a bonus for my audio-only listeners, I'm going to be throwing on an interview I did with Evan of Fifth Dimension Podcast. I think you guys really enjoy it. I've never done this before. I just enjoyed the conversation so much. I thought, hey, my audience might want to hear this, actually. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more from me, that's your opportunity to do so. It's a really, really good Just interesting, deep conversation. If you want to move on to the next one, that's fine, too. Don't No hard feelings. But before I do that, let me read some of our five-star reviews. As always, if you guys want to support my show and you don't have any money to throw my way through libertylockdown.locals.com, totally understandable. I get that. Please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Smash that five stars. Help me out with the algo. It really does make a difference. It allows me to be recognized with my other heroes like Ron Paul, Dave Smith, everybody else that's in the game. So if you can do that, it really helps. Uh, five stars. James Cecil Jr. says, great show. In today's world of groupthink and political hypocrisy, it's refreshing to hear some honesty and free thinking. Keep fighting the good fight, and I shall, James. Thank you so much for the support, brother. Free Thought 1985 says five stars, hooked, love the show, look forward to each visit by Judge Knapp, as do I, Judge Knapp Thursdays, which oftentimes happen on Friday, but will not be happening this week because he's on vacation, but it'll be next Thursday, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) but I'm glad you're hooked, K. Kelly, 77 says five stars, morning routine, wake, shower, brush teeth, coffee, (laughs) toast and jam and liberty freaking lockdown, (laughs) totally unparalleled. Nothing else out there like it. I never knew politics and world events could be addressed in such a non-political and level-headed way, based completely on logic. Wow. High praise. <laughs> I I certainly do have a political bent to me, but it's uh I do try and Base my entire assessment within logic So I, I appreciate that it Says I am borderline distraught when I don't see a new episode Of Liberty Lockdown in my feed Keep calling it like you see it Clint Russell And keep up the great work Well thank you Kate Kelly 77 That means the world to me You are a, a real fan I really appreciate it Uh, Becoming one of my favorite podcasts Mr. Washto24 says Clint is spot on with his foreign policy analysis And he does a fantastic job calling out the corporate press For their lies and propaganda Highly recommend for any liberty minded people Who want to hear an honest breakdown of the culture war Military industrial complex And the regime in general Well thank thank you Mr. Washto24 I think that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it Without further ado Here is my guest appearance on the 5th Dimension Podcast With Evan If you like his show make sure you go give that a subscribe as well Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I will see you in a few days. You're the best. All
1: right, everybody. Welcome into the Fifth Dimension Podcast. For today's show, I am joined by Clint Russell, host of the Liberty Lockdown
2: Podcast. Clint, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thank you for having me, Evan. It's always a pleasure to to meet new like-minded people. So thank you for having me. Hell yeah, man.
1: Well, I feel like it's a time to come together, collaborate, really architect some new ideas and visions For for the direction we're moving in. Now no. or never. Now or never, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I want to start. I want to kind of ask you a bit of, maybe this is a loaded question. I don't know. I tend to be decent at All questions
2: practice. are loaded. Don't
1: worry, <laughs> maybe it's a little bit of a loaded question, but uh, I guess you're right in that sense. They all are loaded. Uh, for you, the last couple years, for me to give it a little context to this question, my own understanding of liberty and freedom, and I've always been somebody who's really uh, really resonated with libertarian ideas and you know I'm, I'm 26 and i remember being in college and being the only person in 2016 who was interested in gary johnson right so right, you know right. um uh, always resonated with the idea of liberty and freedom but for me these last two and a half years have really been an awakening to what liberty and freedom actually means um so i i wanted to start since you host the liberty lockdown podcast if you would give your sort of own definition or your own idea of what it actually means to be free and what it actually means to embody liberty because when we say that word sometimes i think a lot of people are going to have a lot of different ideas and a lot of different understandings of what that actually means so it could be good to be on sort of the same page
2: yeah i mean there like you said there are many angles you can take you know defining what liberty is for me it just means uh you know operating of my own volition like getting Mm -hmm. to to make my own calls as to what my life looks like and who I partner with and where I live and what I do for work and, you know, what I do with my money. Like, yeah, it's just freedom, man. I like that's, and as someone who's always valued that from a very young age, for whatever reason um, I just felt very activated when it was all taken away. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of people downplay it, like, Oh, it wasn't taken away. It's like, no, nah, it was taken away. Like it, okay. maybe if you didn't live in a hard blue area, uh, like I did in California, maybe it wasn't that that bad, but <clears throat> I, I feel like if you ever have a time in American history where the churches are shut down, you know we're in trouble.
1: <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know we're in serious trouble, and and that's what happened. And people accepted it, and uh, it's heartbreaking.
1: It is. Well, it is, it's it's interesting to see how many people. Uh, I would say don't have their own personal understanding of what it actually means to be free. Cause if you're just going along with every single thing that the government says that what, uh, you know, whatever Joe Biden or even Donald Trump, for example, I mean, he was the president when all of this started and he didn't yeah. actively push back. So he sure regardless of it, right. Whether it's left, right, you know, both ends of the political spectrum, you have this sort of dissonance in terms of what liberty and freedom actually means and um, it's interesting because I look at where we are right now, and I certainly think there's been more of an awakening to uh, what's going on on a, on a deeper sense. But at the same time, I don't, I don't necessarily have faith when people are still talking about political solutions, or they're still talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, finding freedom within this system. I mean, do you, it's Very do, tough. Do you do you think we can actually salvage? a lot of the systems that we're living within is it possible to be truly free in a system that has become so centralized
2: no i don't believe so um i mean the good news is that in a collapsing empire which is where we exist currently in my humble mm-hmm. estimation uh, i would agree. there there will be cracks within that tyranny that allow for arguably greater freedom than we had when things weren't so tyrannical so it it requires you to kind of throw off the shackles of your mind and go and live in those areas and operate in that marketplace and things like that, so there's risk involved, but in fact, you're more free by doing so. So you can actually be more free today, probably more free today than you were, you know, pre-COVID era. <clears throat> so, you know, even though I'm I'm very, as I've said, I'm heartbroken about what happened over the past two and a half years, uh, I'm also kind of grateful in a way. Yeah. You know, it, it really it sped up the process of millions and millions of us. Awakening to how severe you know the situation is—that's uh, important. It also obviously radicalized a lot of people that were already you know deeply valuing liberty themselves. Um, so it's not you know there's always a give and take. It's a little yin yang action. Like yes, things are brutal, uh, but at the same time, like it's gonna it's gonna be darkest before the dawn type mentality. So I don't I don't think that these systems are reformable though. You know, I just did an episode tonight where. The focus of it was abolishing the FBI. Mm. You know, I think that these, particularly, you know, the three-letter agencies that are just so obviously and transparently corrupt, they have to go. You know, yeah. you, you can't reform that. The FBI, for the record, has never not been a corrupt, bullshit institution. So I see no right. reason to even pretend that we're going to reform this thing. Just get rid of it. It's insane. Um, so, you know, that's that's my position on things. Whether or not the American people come along for the ride and and choose the the path for actual resolution to the issues that ail us? I, I have no idea. We'll see. Right. It's
1: one of those things that it is unpredictable, but you know, you see people like, I think it was Dan Crenshaw just the other day saying, Oh, you can't abolish the FBI. That's blasphemous, yeah. right? So you, <sighs> exactly. you go, you're going to have people on both sides that are fighting to keep this system alive because they both benefit from it. I, I'm
2: stunned that the neocon warmongering uh, world economic forum, I patch john mccain uh doesn't want to abolish the uh, fbi it's just it's just bizarre to me i would have never guessed (laughs) right exactly who who would have ever thought that that is the reality (laughs) of things
1: Uh, yeah it's crazy because you do see the you know we talk about like the world economic forum for example everybody who is uh i would say in that neocon type of role they have connections to the world economic forum joe biden uh dan crenshaw i think if i'm not mistaken and i don't want to um be incorrect on this but i believe the house of representatives mccarthy you know republican minority
2: leader i believe he has ties to them too so i mean most most of them do yeah. i mean uh, uh, gavin newsom there's yeah. uh, trudeau the oh. uh H- hasinda arden the the uh, new zealand prime minister the, the list goes on and on i think dan andrews in australia too like wherever the harshest lockdowns were You find a World Economic Forum leader. I I don't think that's coincidental, personally. Exactly. And, you know, we could always... And it's easy for us to look at the
1: World Economic Forum and, you know, sort of point the finger and point the finger at these politicians and really get angry. And I think there's a level of that that's justified. But in the same sense, it's difficult to... When you have (laughs) such a, a, I guess, a machine that is the World Economic Forum, right? And you have this huge system that's in play. There's, there's not a lot that we can necessarily do to snap our fingers and change the system in itself. So in a way, when we focus everything on that macro scale, I think it kind of takes away our own freedom in a sense and our own ability sure. to have, I'd say an individual level of responsibility to make change yeah. and to actually go into our local communities because you know, if we want a decentralized approach, we actually need to have our our vision aligned with the decentralized method. If we're if we're focusing on the macro, it's impossible to bring to fruition a system that is decentralized, a system that yeah. is, uh, I would say, within the local communities and power into the actual hands of people instead of this sort of autonomous machine that we've built and is really harvesting people uh, mm-hmm. for their own energy. In a yeah, lot of well, I, I
2: think I think that. You know, like I, I try and make a habit of if I'm going to be doing any sort of bitching on the Internet, like whether that's a podcast or just tweeting, or whatever, I better do something to improve myself that day. You know, mm. so like I always try and keep a balance. So like I work out basically every day because I want to go and scream into the void every day. Yep. Um, you know, and I think that's just like you got to find a balance there. If you're if you're purely externalizing all of the issues of the world and not taking any accountability for any of this you're not going to remedy any of this. Uh, like I really believe that. And and ultimately you're going to be miserable too. Like if you think that we're headed towards, uh, you know, depression, world war three, any sort of craziness, and you're not prepared for that physically, then what are you talking about? You know, like, why are you even speaking to me about, Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. You need to do this right now. You ain't doing that. Why am I going to listen to you? So that's my vantage point on it. Like, make sure that you're you're walking the talk man if if like i hear people talking about like wanting revolution so i don't want a revolution at all but i look at them and i'm like bro you couldn't run a mile you're gonna (laughs) fight a revolution like where are we at right now it's crazy right exactly it's like where's that
1: fine line you need to like embody that warrior mentality and that warrior archetype in a sense and i'm i'm the same way you know i've picked up boxing and martial arts and you know i go to the gym every day and it's it's something that really activates my own inner warrior but in in a way and i can take self-responsibility and find ways to be a little bit more independent each day yeah. I break away from my dependencies on this system, whether it's connecting with a local farmer, learning about the soil and f- growing food and things of that nature. Right. And, right. you know, I'm in Montana right now, which is actually a pretty good state for that. There's a lot of local farmers, oh, yeah, a dude. lot of people who are sort of interested in that same thing. Um, but at the same time, I, I, Oh, sorry. You can no, go I was just going
2: to say, I was just going to say, I, I love the Jordan Peterson line. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's some of the effect of like, uh, don't try to fight the monster, become the monster, and then control it, you know, mm-hmm. like that type of mentality. It's like, if you're not a dangerous man, you're basically going to get ran over. Like, I want to be very dangerous, but then I want to be totally peaceful. Like, that's, exactly. it seems kind of, you know, kind of contradictory, but it's really not, you know, like if you're, because if you don't have the capacity to inflict violence, you're not being peaceful. You're just doing the only thing you're capable of, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to be capable in order to not be doing these things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that's, that's an important lesson. And, and it's ultimately like, it's better for the soul too. I think that I don't talk about this often, but <clears throat> I really think that the, uh, the war against masculinity in men is, has been just a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it ultimately has turned our entire, entire culture into, into one that looks towards the government for safety. And if you don't have a bunch of dangerous ass dudes out there to, to look after the the tribe, so to speak, um, I know we live in a very modern age and we have all this technology and all this stuff, but it's like, the, the truth is you still have this, like this primal desire to be a protector as a man. Most men do at least. Exactly. And if you don't, if you don't fulfill that, you end up in a really black, you know, like really dark place. Uh, so that's ah, that's exactly. kind of, that's been something I've gotten into more. And a bit less uh, basically since the lockdown started i've been like all right yeah I better, yeah no absolutely I start getting in shape
1: that's how i feel and you know it's it's funny because i always had the approach of health and fitness and like you know probably 2017 2018 is when i really started getting into it so it was before all the lockdown stuff but my perspective on it shifted in a way where it was less egoic and more about mm. becoming the man that i am meant to be right and really oh, i love that yeah love you that. know reclaiming who it is that I am because so much of, you know, I think we kind of mentioned this earlier about externalizing everything and outsourcing everything. You know, we do that with our own sovereignty, our own masculinity, men in particular. And I think women do it with their own femininity too. So there's, there's simultaneously this war on masculinity, this war on femininity, and you have this sort of uh, almost like neutral, you know, there is no true masculinity. There is no true femininity. And so you hmm. you create this society that is so unbalanced and so like so desperate for a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose
2: because people have right. lost their true way and so uh, and where do, where does that go though you know where that goes that goes towards a tyrant taking mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. because you have people that are in complete disarray and they're just looking for leadership and I don't blame them I'm looking for leadership too but I want that leadership to be representative of my belief system which is human liberty and allowing it to flourish because ultimately i believe that produces the greatest good for civilization as a whole and uh man if we don't (laughs) if we don't get more of a a ground up like a bottom-up movement of people self-improving so they don't look to the top and say at all costs keep me safe uh that's that's hell and we and we just live through hell now I sound like Jordan Peterson. I'm bringing up hell. I never do that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. It, it's, it, it's, it's uh, exactly right in the sense. And, you know, it's interesting about that leadership, like you mentioned, it's, <laughs> I, I look for the same thing. And I think in a way, you know, there's that old adage of, you know, if you don't see what you want represented on the, on the larger scale, you sort of become that. And I think in a way, by you know, by the work that we do, just whether it's through podcasting or going out and you know reaching the audiences that we have, we're mm-hmm. we're embodying roles of leadership so people can step into this themselves. I mean, we're not necessarily running for political office or in right. you know going into this system, uh, but you know we're finding ways to poke holes and make change just through uh, the embodiment of our own work and the inner 100%. work that we've done. And, you know, we kind of create that leadership, which has been lacking. And, you know, I think that's why there hasn't been a, I would say, large scale organization, especially prior to 2020, about pure freedom and and really personal liberty. I think it's starting to
2: come together a bit more. Um, Yeah, it is. It is now because we we took over the Libertarian Party because they didn't represent freedom, unfortunately. Uh, No, I I completely agree with you, man. I, I think that like. I've had, I can't even tell you hundreds and hundreds of DMs or emails or whatever from people over the past two years that are just thanking me for telling the truth and keeping them sane, uh, giving them the courage to quit their job or to tell their, their boss to shove it when they were trying to put something in their body against their will. Um, you know, it it doesn't take a lot, you know, you just have to, you just have to show people that they're not crazy. You know, you're not crazy to want to be free, man. You're not crazy. Exactly. You are you are functioning from, in my opinion, maybe the basest human instinct, which mm-hmm. is to you know have no masters. Um, and if that's not the basest human instinct, then maybe I'm just built different. I don't know. <laughs> like, I really don't know. Uh, but I I think at the end of the day, you know, people that that want to be enslaved, once they have that, they yearn to be free. Yeah. Um, so I'm just not willing to be enslaved to have that revelation. You know, I mm-hmm. just want I just I'm, I'm feeling it in the moment. I'm like, I can see three steps ahead. I know exactly where this is going. Central bank digital currency, climate, chain lo- lock, or, uh, climate change lockdowns, uh, the death of fiat currency, total panopticon surveillance system. I see it all. I see exactly what you're doing to us. I know where this is going. No, thank you. I'm not interested. I reject your offer and fuck you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, that's my
2: perspective on it
1: you know we reject the great reset and we raise you a great awakening into greater freedom and greater liberty and you know yeah. true the true pursuit of life liberty and happiness right that's that's what yeah. i think we all strive for and it's interesting because i think the way our system is designed most people are already enslaved and i remember i remember when kanye west so many years ago said slavery was a choice and he got ridiculed for it in the media and at the time i, I I didn't necessarily think too much about the comment. I was like, oh, that's really right. interesting. I don't, I don't lean one way or the other, but now I think about it. And in a way, you know, we are only enslaved to the degree that we actually choose to, to be so. And you know, I course. recognize that within myself that I had, even now I'm sure I still have blind spots in ways that I'm reliant on, whether it's the system or just old belief systems, whatever it may be. But as I continue on this path to self-discovery and understanding Liberty, I, I realize I am slowly but surely freeing myself from my own mind. Cause it does, It's only myself that has ever held me back. It's never been interesting the government. And it's somebody told me the other day that it, I think it was on my most recent podcast. It must've been, um, the guy, Jason Kristoff, who's a self-sabotage coach and he's, he's really excellent. I would definitely recommend checking him out. Um, he said, "You know, if aliens were to come down f- to Earth, they'd never be able to locate government. It's not a real entity, right? They would. Hmm. They would hear. Maybe they could find pol- people who are politicians. They could find buildings, right. monuments, whatever it may be. But there is no actual entity, material right. entity that is
2: government, right? And yeah, so, how just can just the it- people that make it up? Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. And, it, so. and our
2: and our collective belief in this nonsensical, you know." Monopoly on violence. Yeah, I totally agree, man.
1: Yeah, it's it's only our own beliefs and way of, I guess, understanding and perceiving the world that holds this whole
2: reality together. But what's interesting is that it's it's our collective belief in it. Because if we, if one of us decides it's not real, it doesn't really matter because they can still bring down an FBI agent and and, and entrap you and put you in prison for the rest of your life. Like you can say that your mind is your primary, uh, you know, enslaver, but
1: Hmm.
2: for some people, it's not, (laughs) you know, there are over a million people in prison right now in America. It's like, there's a lot of people that are truly enslaved. And I mean, some of them rightfully. So if they committed violent crimes and things like that, but then there's a lot of them that are not rightfully so. And, uh, and so, you know, my, my hope is that we get to a point someday where both our belief in, Government as a whole is greatly diminished, but also um, as you were saying, you know, our the, the amount of free, like liberty in our own minds that we have increases. I think that they, they play off each other too. I think that as, as you have a diminishing state, you have an increase in your own, you know, cerebral capacity for free thinking and things like that. That was actually one of the things I didn't mention in the intro as to, you know, what does liberty mean to me? Speaking the truth and speaking freely. We can't do that today. Like, I don't know if you're going to put this on YouTube, but there's, there's a chance that even though I have told you nothing but the truth so far that they could just go gone, you know? And, uh, I've every single one of my cohorts on Twitter, all of them have lost their accounts. I'm the only one that has maintained it, which makes them all think I'm an FBI agent, which is tragic. (laughs) But, but the truth is I just, I'm very cautious. You know, I say very, uh, like hardcore libertarian shit, but I just say it in a way that I know I'm like I'm just skating through, just barely getting under that that uh, you know that line yep. that that arbitrary line wherever they set it. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's uh, it's really unhealthy. I mean, it is re- Like even myself, someone who's speaking as freely as humanly possible, I still am having my speech chilled. I'm yep. still not. I'm still not saying every ounce of the truth because I know there's certain things on certain platforms that I can't say. That is not a good way for you to formulate a, a civilization. It ultimately right. it it stifles innovation. It's it stifles our own creativity. It stifle, stifles our own well being, our own mental health. I mean, there's a a lot of this plays into that. That like I don't think people think about enough. Like if you just think about the people in like uh you know East Germany or under Stalin, you know like. Mm-hmm you could read solzhenitsyn and find out all about it. now i really sound like jordan peterson yeah. I'm bringing up solzhenitsyn <laughs> jesus christ <laughs>
1: i was going to say the jordan uh, peterson influence is strong but i i resonate with it i resonate yeah, me too. with it me too. i love the guy what can i do <laughs> but no and you you're exactly right and i think a lot of people don't realize how these systems you know we talk about freedom of speech and that external versus internal it's so intertwined right because because of their external elimination of freedom of speech it creates an internal response yes. of self-censorship absolutely and, and we aren't able to fully articulate the truth in its purest form right and
2: right. i think and, and and even more like horrific is yeah. that we can't we can't discover we can't explore areas mm-hmm. of confusion to try and discover that truth perfect yeah. example is the during the COVID hysteria I mean, how much of the truth was bannable for yeah. two years? They just recently came out and said that on YouTube, we can now say that masks are not efficacious against COVID. That mm. they just like yesterday. Yeah. Dude, do you know how insane that is? That for over two and a half years, you were banned for saying that. And now today, it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> like, It's crazy, man. And then think about all the mental health issues that these kids are now suffering under, because I wasn't allowed to convey that message to them. You don't have anything to worry about young person, right? Young, healthy person, you know, it's just trying to make it really, it makes me, it makes me, God, I don't even know. It makes me angry, but even moreover, it just makes me sad. It makes me sad that, that we think this is how you protect people by lying to them.
1: Hmm. Insane. Right, absolutely. Well, that's sort of the generation I think that you know I myself was raised in. You know, I you know I'm a I'm 26, so I grow up with the participation trophy era where we're coddled, right. where we aren't given the fullest uh, versions of truth. We shy away from giving people real criticism. You know, it's yeah. very much a soft type of, well, uh, very om- much you know, and like overly nurturing which creates Mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier, really the dependency upon a nanny state, because if we are just overly coddled and overly nurtured, we're never going to have the ability to, you know, I I would say fly free into being ourselves, right? It's like a bird when a, when a, there's a baby bird in the nest and the mother knows it's time to kick it out. It will literally kick it out of the nest. And if it doesn't fly, it will die. Like that's the end. It's the end of the bird's (laughs) life. If it's not going to fly free. So
2: Nature's, so- nature's tough, man. Exactly. <laughs> Nature <is> tough. <laughs> and we, and we, and this is why I think there's something, uh, you know, n- not natural about how we have decided to raise these most recent generations of kids. I, I just barely, you know, squeaked past that. Like I was fortunate enough that in my very, you know, formational years of like elementary school and stuff, there was no internet. You know, I mm. didn't have an internet growing up. Um, just, tremendously beneficial to not have had that as a young person. I can't tell you how grateful I am for it. And it's funny because, you know, in hindsight, or like at the time when I first got a cell phone and first was able to like play a game when I was bored or text a friend or do any of these things, I was I was like, I can't believe I ever lived a different way. You know, it just, yeah. it felt like so revelatory and just a net positive, a hundred percent, hundred percent net positive. <clears throat> Couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is just obviously, <laughs> uh detrimental to a huge percentage of people that they they don't they don't ever sit in silence they don't ever allow their mind to just ruminate it's like it's just constant distractions all the time i there's no it's no wonder to me that the mental health crisis in this country and on the on the planet are just so so stark right now
1: oh yeah and i think technology is the greatest form of escapism in a lot of ways yes. you know we escape from ourselves escape from reality i think a lot of people know On on a subconscious level, they know how dire things might be on a collective scale, even if they aren't seeing the full truth, right? There is that totally
2: agree. They can feel it.
1: Yeah. There is that feeling within and, you know, whether they choose to explore it or not, because they have so many distractions, because there's so many numbing addictions, whether it's alcohol or pornography or whatever it may be there's an addiction that's for everybody technically it's designed (laughs) that way it's designed that way Uh, Uh, and
2: multiple multiple addictions for many people um you know i i yeah i I totally agree with you man and i think that you know i'm i'm as guilty of it as anybody i'm certainly addicted to the internet and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. fortunately i i you know i supplement it with a meditation practice i had a really bad anxiety disorder when i was your age and uh and I, because of exercise and because of meditation, I was able to kind of find my way through. And I think it, I, in a weird way, it actually prepared me for the incredible anxiety inducement that came with the lockdown period. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I know what to do here. You know, like at least I had these tools. Had I not had those tools, I probably would have just lost my mind. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, most people, most people don't have those tools. Most people, like they, they literally are terrified of their own thoughts. You know, like a lot of people are. That's why they constant TV, not even just watching TV, but having your phone and twittering while you're doing that, or or you know, TikTokking or whatever. It's like these people have no, they have no downtime, like none. It's just like go, 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 like mentally, even though they're not really accomplishing much. And then sleep, <laughs> and then yeah. wake up and do it again. Do you grab? What's the first thing you grab when you wake up? The phone. You know, almost everybody does that. Um, I just think it's, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not even taking any credit for this I'm just super lucky that I had a time in my life where I had none of these uh, distractions that were so readily available. So I got to kind of formulate um, some of myself more holistically. I'm just, I'm just basically grateful for it.
1: Yeah. Well, I I feel the same way because I started like doing meditation and breath work and all these different inward practices around 20, I'd say 2018 or so. And so once, you know, lockdowns hit, I didn't necessarily know what was going on. But I had that approach of, okay, let me just observe without judgment, without, you know, accepting what this person is saying or the government saying or this or that. Let me just actually observe reality as I see it versus what's being spewed online or in the news or this. Dude, That's
2: incredible that you had that tool belt at 22 years old. Like very few people have that of your generation in particular, but most generations don't have that. Um, I'd I'd say it was luck
1: sort of stumbled upon it. Honestly, just whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I I generally believe we're sort of guided to those things for a reason. There's a deep, you know, a deeper purpose behind it all. And I can't necessarily explain why I started it, but it was
2: a, let me, let me give you a side story to that. Cause, uh, I, I literally never thought about like, I thought when people were having panic attacks that they were like faking it. I was like, I don't, I don't even believe this is real. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, like, this doesn't seem possible. Oh, so your brain's racing so much that you now can't breathe. And you, and you think you're dying. Like that's nonsense. Only a pussy would have that happen. And then it happened to me. (laughs) It happened to me when I was like 25, 26 years old. And I was like, what is this? This is so, it was so mystifying to me because I had had what I thought was such a stable mental framework up until that point. Um, I was very much of a perfectionist like hard hard driving uh very like work oriented, production oriented. and then it was it's funny actually it was me it was me studying nine eleven that that gave me my first panic attack wow. it, like, it, broke, <laughs> it broke my whole yeah. worldview I swear to God um, <clears throat> but after that, I was like, okay, I need like obviously there's something that's that's wrong in my life, you know like oh. I, and I think that that's one thing that. That far too f- few people that suffer from anxiety disorders, as they call them, don't, don't take that lesson for what it is. Like yeah. for me, I haven't had a panic attack in years now, years. Like it, I, if I were to have one, it would almost feel uh, like a, the first time, you know, like yeah. I've, I've almost forgotten what the sensation of them are at this point. But for years, I had them pretty consistently until I finally found my way through it. Um, and I think that far too few people respond to, to panic attacks as, okay, what lesson do I need to learn from this? Like, how yeah. can I actually improve my mental health so that this stops happening?
0: Exactly. I think it's
2: a tool. Uh, the, the reason I bring it all up is just to say, I think panic attacks are actually your biological way of your mind telling you something with your lifestyle is catastrophically wrong. Exactly. I would agree. But, doc- but doctors won't tell you that. Of <laughs> they course. not. They'll just like, take this pill, you're good to go mask
1: the symptoms. I mean, then that's what we've seen with the COVID response, just perpetuate disease, perpetuate sickness. Yes, and I think yeah. it, it extends into mental health. Cause I have a similar story in a sense when I was in my, you know, last year of college, 2017, 2018, you know, yeah. I was starting fresh out of a relationship, newly single. Like I was, you know, doing more partying and drinking and a bit more right. drugs and things of that nature. But I, at the same time I was introduced to you know, meditation. And I was doing, you know, psychedelics, which sort of expanded my perception on, okay, this is not all there is to reality. Like, this is really strange. So I didn't know how to sort of encapsulate a lot of these experiences I was having in meditation and, you know, just different journeying I was doing. But so my Mm -hmm. my view on reality was sort of like, I have no idea what's going on. And everything I thought was true was turning out not to be true. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you start masking it, you start having these, panic attacks and anxiety and it was through continuous observation of them what is this teaching me that i would you know i haven't had one in a little and i would say years but it's funny i was at a i was at a concert last week on friday and i asked my girlfriend i said oh what's the type of genre because i had never heard of the band and her immediate response was anxiety inducing and so uh, (laughs) and i was like okay i'll go and then so when i walk in right exactly (laughs) i went there sure enough first i'm like oh this is like this is kind of anxiety inducing but i was able to actually be like okay let let me observe this let me breathe through it let me see what's going on and it was actually a very positive experience and i enjoyed it so you know i I think it goes into the idea of you know how we view ourselves whether we're in a victim mindset victim consciousness of oh this is the world is the world is working against us. and My mind is working against me. These panic attacks or diseases are working against me versus an opportunity for empowerment, an opportunity yeah.
2: to learn, an opportunity to grow. And well, this ties in perfectly to what I said earlier, where people that are looking for external problems all the time, they don't ever reflect in- internally. It's also those, those same people will, will usually look for external solutions to every problem. So mm-hmm. like if you're dealing with something internally that's really painful, because anxiety attacks are painful for sure. Um, A lot of of people will not look for, you know, internal medicine, like uh, truly holistic uh, ways to remedy it. They'll just automatically knee jerk. It's like, give me whatever, give me, give me that, that bottle of booze or give me a a prescription drug or whatever. And it's like, I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not how you get through this stuff. It just isn't. I mean, certainly Mm -hmm. there are extreme cases where someone's, schizophrenic or something like that where it can get to a point where like medication may be mandatory i don't know yeah. but i'm just saying for the vast majority of people you have like i think it's like 30 percent of people are on some sort of psychotropic medication in america that's fucking ridiculous like there's no reason for that many people to need this stuff and it's just uh, it's just to me it's hard evidence of the uh dishealth the unhealth of our society right now and uh, i just i pray that uh instead of having you know, really hard times before we have kind of a, a re-enlightenment um, that we can do it Do it now, you know, do yeah. it while, while things are still standing because uh, it's going to be a lot harder to find time to breathe when you're fighting to stay alive. Oh, exactly. <laughs> well, and
1: people are going to be further put into survival mode, right? And I think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of people already are. You kind of mentioned how people are go, 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 go. I yep. think what happens is it creates this unconscious fight or flight response when you're always getting this constant stimuli and so you're you're constantly on edge you're in survival mode and when you're in survival mode you can't you don't have time to rationalize you don't have time to Mm -hmm. think like you're incapable of it because your body is in such a stress response and that's exactly what this system relies on from you know I think the moment that we enter school and I come from a teaching background and I'm at the point where I don't think I could ever teach in a public school again, just based on based on (laughs) we need you,
2: though, brother. I know.
1: (laughs) I know. It's I I recognize that. And it's interesting. Like there's that fine line of how how much can I bring? You know, I've had to have the question of how much can I how much like liberty and true freedom can I bring to students in a public school setting? And it depends on where you are. The fact I'm I'm from the East Coast. I went to school and college in Boston. So in that's in that city there's no chance it's going to happen. Like there's no. no way. Now that I'm no, out in Montana, sure. there's a little bit of a,
2: you know, better prospects for it, I would say, but. At least um, a chance. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and, and with curriculum, uh, you know, the, what's it called? SEL, social emotional learning that's getting rolled out and stuff like that. It's going to get harder and harder for even, you know, well-meaning, good, good, you know, yeah. quote unquote teachers to actually do good. Um, yeah. So I'm, I mean, as with everything, it's a double-edged sword. Yes, it's going to make, the kids that are in public school probably a lot worse off, but it's also going to force more and more parents to remove their kids from public school, which will make them infinitely better off. So, or put them in private school or whatever. You know, it's, right. it's, uh, I really do think that we are, we are dividing this civilization by, you know, the free thinking, the free, just the free broadly and the enslaved. Like it's, it's going to get so stark at some point because like you're now having like break off civilizations. You have like the New Hampshire libertarian free state project yep. movement. Like those people are, are going to like those kids that grow up in that you they'll never be able to, you know, be buck broken and put back in the public school system. Like those kids are going to be wild animals, you know, compared to, <laughs> to yeah. normal, the normal people, quote unquote, normal people. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch though. Right. And it's interesting because this divide
1: in a way, it's sort of territorial, but at the same time, it's not right. Because, you know, I grew up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is on the seacoast. And that's where I, you know, mm. I went to high school and you know, where I was raised. And it, it compared to the rest of New Hampshire, it is very much like a very liberal area. Like it's very much yeah. like Massachusetts and sort of the surrounding right. states. But anytime you go north, you have that freedom mindset, that freedom mentality. And I've been following the Free State Project very closely. And I'm oh, like, wow, awesome. I'm like, I, I wonder how the people on the Seacoast are going to respond to this because you know they're not in alignment yeah. with those same values. Despite being in the same state. So it's yeah. this, it, it's a territorial divide, but at the same time, it's all it's, there's contrast within each state. I mean, Montana, oh, yeah. big time. Montana has its big liberal areas. I mean, Bozeman, Montana, which is about an hour and a half from where I am and where I'm going to be come winter time, Like it's, it's very liberal. Like it, it's very much, it's not like sort of the rural areas of Montana, oh, no. you know, so no, you have huge all divides.
2: Right. huge divide. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, that there's, there's like almost no similarity between the free staters and some of the blue city areas yeah. in new Hampshire. And this is why I think that, you know, ultimately you can't really have a civil war in this country. And I'm grateful for that because yeah. we're so interspersed ideologically and, and uh, you know, physically or geographically. Um, so we're going to have to learn like either it's going to get incredibly ugly or we're going to have to realize that our, our differences are intractable. Like we cannot, yeah. we're not going to remedy this. Like we, there are just fundamental core belief differences that you guys want to rule over us. We refuse to be ruled and we're going to, we're at loggerheads. Like, do you yeah. want to take this to the inevitable con- conclusion of might makes right? Cause I don't want to do that. So like, let's not go there. Let's just let these people go. Let me be free. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I hope, I hope it happens, man. I, I, I think ultimately, like the death of the of the dollar will be the the moment where these like real breakoffs happen. Um, and I think it's coming. I think it's yeah. like 15 years. Like it could really happen. Like we could, no one believed in 1986 that the USSR was going to fall uh, by 90, you know? And I mean, four and years sure later, enough, there sure you enough. are. So it could happen.
1: And I was going to say, and if you, I'm sure there were people in the Soviet Union and the '86 who were saying, "Hey, this is going to happen," and they probably weren't taken seriously, right? I mean, oh no, they were laughed out of the book. They thought <laughs> they probably put them in insane asylums. They, right. they were so crazy at that point. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it it's fascinating because I wonder how people are going to respond when, you know, when everything comes crashing down in an economic standpoint, an ideological standpoint, everything that we're so familiar with. Are we going to be able to unite around our similarities? Because, you know, even now we speak to somebody we're ideologically opposed to the the vast majority of our belief system. And maybe there is the difference is growing, you know, over time. And I'm certain, you know, 30 years ago we had more in common. But I think even now we still have more in common than we will ever choose to necessarily recognize or see. Right. And that's sure that's sort of the nature of it so i wonder if we're going to be able to unite around those common principles because if you ask what is it that people want on either side of the spectrum wherever they fall right on this vast uh, if the spectrum even exists i don't even know i don't even know if it does people are who they are but you know generally people want freedom happiness security assurance connection you know very core human values And, you know, even the COVID debate, right. The people who want freedom, they just didn't, they didn't feel unsafe. Right. Right. you know, they already felt safe, but the people who were afraid, they, they were valuing safety over freedom and they were seeking the safety that a lot of people maybe
2: already had. So, so, so much so that they they made those arguments. They said, well, you can't be free if you're dead, you know, like that, that was their mentality. And, you know, the, my personal opinion, even though I was afraid of COVID in the first couple months. You know, I, I didn't know what it was. I don't think anybody really had a handle on it at that point. Um, but even in that period, I was still like, "No, yeah. <laughs> you do not lock us down." But it's because I have some like core principles that I like. I just knee-jerk reaction. Like, you do not tell me that I can't function. You know, my business. I can't go to the beach. Like, are you out of your minds? Like, right. if I'm so concerned about my safety I will voluntarily not do those things you don't dictate that I do those things so that there is there is some core differences but you're absolutely right though that the the people that were horrified they were like I want my freedom to be alive you know like they it was still a kind of a freedom oriented debate at least that's how they try to frame it um, yeah. and I think that's interesting you know California uh, Gavin Newsom he actually read ads, Saying we are the free state. And he was running them, you know, contrasting the California governance versus DeSantis and the Florida governance. It's insane. I mean, it's so, it's so upside down world, but it probably does appeal to some people that that saw COVID as this catastrophic risk to themselves and their, their loved ones. And they're like, I want to be free to get back to normal life. So we have to make sacrifices in the interim and blah, blah, blah. It's uh, but you're right. I think I think the the real key is that you know, 80% of people do share much of the same desires. There's like 10 to 20% that really, they don't, they don't share my principles at all. You know, like they're just lunatics as far as I'm concerned. And they look at me as a lunatic. So that's fine. That's fine. Um, So, so, you know, if we're going to have any coming together, it's going to be the 80% of people that are, uh, you know, share some of those
1: base values that you're talking about. Right. And uniting around the similarities and when things hit the fan, which I, you know, it's interesting because I don't know if there's going to be one particular moment where things collapse. You know, a lot of people are almost sort of waiting for an Armageddon or they're waiting for that. There it is. It's all coming down at once. I think it's going to be this slow implementation of things like digital ID, a slow rollout. And I think it was, I think we're in it right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't
2: think I don't think it's a bang moment either.
1: Yeah, it's like the it's I heard a uh, David Ike phrase it as the totalitarian tiptoe where you have one little moment. And it's, it's that idea of where, you know, the government takes two steps forward upon your rights and we get angry and we yell and we're like, oh, what's going on? And then they take one step backward and it's like, OK, oh, sorry, we did. Re- we win. Re- yeah. yeah. And, the, and the people go, oh, OK, great. But they still took one step forward on our liberty. They right, still right. infringed upon us, and that cycle repeats until you realize your initial line in the sand was a whole mile back behind us, and we were yeah. long past our initial uh, where we were. And that's only yeah, gonna well, What
2: we were willing to accept is now ten thousand miles in the rearview mirror. I mean, there's there's tons of different metaphors for this. There's the frog in the pot metaphor. Yeah. There's the the ratchet effect. Like there's it's all true. I mean, it's undeniably true. Like you, you never. I don't think you ever accept lockdowns if it's not for the fact that you've already had the Patriot Act rolled out that made you feel as if you're a cattle every time you get on a plane and they get to pat you down and check out your rectum. It's like none of that would have been acceptable had we not accepted that because 1999 people, if you were to just say, hey, you have to stay home for the next year and a half, two years, it would have been like, uh, fuck you, not a chance, not happening. Uh, but they it just you slowly indoctrinate people into this uh you know acquiescence, this this faith in government and also just a go along to get along mentality. You saw it in Australia in a really stark fashion. Those people who I always thought of as being like really independent and liberty minded just all of a sudden were like totally enslaved. It's remarkable. Absolutely. Sorry. This this boat behind me is uh blaring music. Can you hear it? I can shut the I, door. I was gonna say I can't
1: hear it. It's not coming through on the mic. All right. So great, great, cool. <laughs> Someone's out having a party on the water. Hey, that's great.
2: <laughs> hey,
1: look at that. There we go. Why was I not invited? Come on. <laughs> oh man. But um yeah, I was, I was gonna say it it's the uh, the slow implementation of this agenda. It it isn't gonna be overnight i think people a lot of people are going to look back once they've been almost hurt enough to the point yeah. where you know and that that's the sad reality of it when i asked you know in my most recent podcast with jason christoff i said what does it actually take how obvious does it have to get and he said hmm. you know a lot of times people have to experience pain they have to have something catastrophic happen in their own lives to even have that earth-shattering moment where yeah you know, things, it's like, oh, wow, okay, this is the reality, and I'm sitting mm-hmm. in it, and I, I tend to believe that we can't be a victim of our own choices, right, so and there's a there's a poem I was reading by Rumi, and I, I, I love Rumi, he's sort of timeless in a sense, over a thousand years ago, and he had one called Let Them Sleep, and it's, you know, it's just about people who aren't interested, and in, he was referring to love, and sort of this, he mentioned awakening specifically, you know, just to let them be who they are right there's nothing we can force upon people uh in a sense so as as i've learned that too yeah yeah as painful as it is you can't force feed this information to people you can't force them to see what's going on my brother lives in california and you know i'm sure he's voting for or voted for newsom in the recall (laughs) and all that he's had his shots (laughs) and his boosts whatever you know but at the same time i have to i it's not like i'm gonna hold a prejudice against him for getting his shots by any means it's still gonna be all love it's still gonna be okay yeah, no, this, no, no, is, this for is where sure. you're at so
2: yeah it's it, where i where i have a hard time with forgiveness is when it when it's actually voting for someone like newsom i mean newsom yeah. is just such a nightmare it's like i i obviously i don't begrudge him getting his jabs or whatever like go you know mask up for the rest of your life i really don't care yep. but if you're gonna basically employ someone to force things in my body and things like that. It's like, all right, man, now now you're kind of like, this is almost a nap violation. Like you're almost, (laughs) you're like, you're really encroaching in my lifestyle. Uh, But ultimately, you know, I didn't have a choice and his single vote doesn't matter. So I should probably just let it go. Uh, But I had to flee because of it. You know, I just, I think that that's, that's really the next phase of this is that, you know, people that, that do have really deeply held fundamental core principles are now, you know they're finding their meccas. They're they're going to the promised land. Be that New Hampshire or Florida or Tennessee or Texas or wherever feels right for you. Some people it's Mexico. It's I mean it's yep. lot lot of different places. Um, and that's to me that's progress. You know, like I I agree with you. I would love it if we could just kind of come together and kumbaya moment. It, but it just doesn't seem likely. Um, so yeah. I think it's probably important that we go be with our people.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and this like we were kind of saying earlier, it's the time to come together and the time to forge the I would say more intimate communities and actually start building the change because you know we can't fix something that is so on a such a macro scale especially when we don't believe the solution even lives within that macro scale so why why even try it right the solution comes from in the local communities. so just start forging that intimacy in the and you know respect for thy neighbor who is directly across from us and and build that trust and build that mutual companionship and i think that's where that's where we're going to find our freedom it's not going to be as much as i take uh i I would say there's a comedy to somebody like joe biden and you know what's going on at the federal level at the same time that it doesn't it has an impact on my life but it also doesn't if i it it only has the impact that i let it to a certain degree
2: well, that's the inflation. I mean, the inflation yeah. is a serious impact, but that's not just by it. That's just the, the, the system, system itself. itself. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I, I certainly think that's that's what I've loved most about my show, you know, taking off in a little bit of popularity is that I now get to have conversations with such interesting people and create community. And I, Now I go all over the country and I speak to uh, like Libertarian Party conventions or even not just other other events and things like that. Um, and I get to meet all these, you know, young people. I think that's the, the, the thing that gives me the most hope is that, you know, even though I just turned 40, I still just feel incredibly blessed that there are some young people out there that share my, my worldview. Uh, cause yeah. for a time I really felt like I was alone. You know, I, I felt like after the Ron Paul revolution moment, uh, you know, um, 2013, 14, it was just like, we all went our own way. And it was just kind of in, in the wind type feeling, um, and fortunately, I had my career to focus on, so I didn't, I didn't worry about it too much. But I'm just, I'm very grateful to see that there is kind of a, a, uh, a reignition of the flame. You know, it's, yeah. it feels like it's back, and not a moment too soon. I was gonna say, <laughs> well,
1: it has to be, it has to be, yeah. based on the direction we're moving in. Because you know, I look at somewhere like Canada, and they don't have nearly the same level of, um, I would say, vocal support or vocal uh you know options even within their communities for freedom like the united states has i mean we have our pockets like you mentioned so you know there's there's a lot of good i think that we can tap into despite the hard times i mean that's that old that old saying the hard times are going to create strong men right and strong people so yeah uh, you know on the other end of this but again the cliche saying of darkness before dawn right we're we're gonna come out and and learn and grow ideally Right, depending on the choices that the collective makes, um, and Absolutely. I think I think based on the fact that this implementation and the Great Reset, their plan is to have it by 2030, right, and get it all get it all in place quickly because they realize if if they take too long on this, people are going to wake up and understand exactly what's going on to the well, same level. That, you know, let so, me let me
2: be even more optimistic. You're right. That is why that's why it's so urgent for them, but even more hopeful is that central planning doesn't work. So their best laid plans are going to collapse. It's just, it's just a matter of how much do the everyday people suffer because of it. So my hope is that if we wake up before 2030 and we, and we tell them no more, like we're, we're stopping here, then there's no more prevention of us from farming, you know, (laughs) that's we're done with that. Um, then we might be able to avoid famines and all sorts of, you know, really catastrophic consequences. But if we don't, then it's the people that are waking up today that will be able to, to weather that period the best, because if you see this as clearly as it sounds like both of us do, it's incumbent upon you to take action. Like yeah. you, you, you cannot just put your head in the ground and just pray that it's, it's all going to work its way out. Like you've got to start to, Make that network you're talking about, get some arable land and start to grow some food and, uh, you know, learn how to defend yourself for you know, roaming marauders of starving people, things like that. Like, I hope it doesn't come to that. But like, if you're not taking those steps now, I don't know, man, like it it seems like now's the time. So,
1: exactly, uh,
2: as I've said, it's going to be a lot harder, you know, it's going to be a lot harder when you're in the middle of that panic attack. If you've never learned how to work, you know, breathe through stress, um, Mm -hmm. So you got to be taking a lot of steps right now, not just external, not just in your own investment life or your own career life, but also spiritual breathing, whatever you want to call it, like all of it, all of it's going to play a role. Um, And I know that sounds really apocalyptic, but I actually don't, I don't view it as, as I've said, I don't view it as an entirely negative thing. I think that, that we will come out on the other side of that if we avoid nuclear war. Like, I think that's the only way we really reset civilization. And I pray we don't do that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, odds are in our favor that that doesn't happen, even though there are a chance that it does, which is horrifying. Um, and if, if we can get through that period, like the, the teeth of the most tyrannical period, uh, there's a, there's a potential with the technological innovations that now exist. If we can learn how to use them as the tools that they were meant to be, as opposed to the addictions that they've become, well, then you can have a really, really remarkable, you know, kind of techno enlightenment type civilization. So, All right. I don't know. We'll see. Things, I'm hopeful. Yeah, where
1: things thrive, right? And that's that's the beauty. I, I, I agree with you completely, man. And I think that's it. I sort of view it as this. I don't have room for a plan B in a sense, mm-hmm. where if everything mm-hmm. hits the fan and there's complete Armageddon, like I'm not even. I understand that it's a possibility, but my sight is solely set on kind of what you just described this techno enlightenment, where we do wake up in time. And yep. because I I've heard heard somewhere, and I don't remember where it was. But if you, if you create a plan B, chances are, you're going to fall back on that. So, you know, creating Mm -hmm. that soul side of this is what we need to do. We need to step up right now, become more individually responsible and self-reliant and be optimistic and, you know, do everything we can in our own power to do so. And, you know, I'm a believer perception creates reality. So if enough people are doing that, that's the reality we're going to create. Right.
2: And yeah, so I would also say that, you know, we have. Have truth on our side. You know, we yeah. like we are functioning from a real honest position. You know, we're not trying to deceive anyone. We are literally just taking in all of the information that we can possibly accumulate, distilling it down and then responding. You know, a lot of people are doing that, but they're taking it in and then they're reframing it to fit their worldview, and that's it. That's all they do. And uh, I think that's evidenced by the fact that I can have a conversation with anybody of any political stripe and I can almost guess what they're gonna say whereas they can never guess what I'm going to say because mm-hmm. I'm actually thinking freely. I will respond based off of actual listening to you and then responding. I think that's part of the reason my show is successful is because when I'm having a, an interview is that I'm genuinely listening. I'm genuinely curious I'm not I'm not just like waiting for you to finish talking so that I can hit the best sound bite you know it's yeah. like that's shit. That's a crap way to, it's a crap way to live too. You know, I just, I don't want to, I, I don't learn from that. I, you know, I'm, I'm like the coolest part about my show is having on people that are, you know, smarter than me in certain arenas that can actually inform me on stuff. And I really believe that the people that are seeking knowledge and seeking truth are, are going to ultimately prevail, I guess. Yes. Could I be wrong? Sure. I could be. Um, but I like our odds.
1: (laughs) Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, I I would say certainly that's why your show succeeds. And I, I see that within your own ability to, you know, have these types of conversations. And, you know, what gave me a little hope is I listened to Aaron Rodgers. He made headlines going on Aubrey Marcus podcasts and, you know, everyone Mm -hmm. was talking about his psychedelic use or whatever and all that, but something that stood out to me was he just said the exact same thing to you as. He's he's going on there not to produce a soundbite. He's going in there and the conversations he has daily. He wants to listen to people. He wants right. to open himself up to new perspectives and not have this rigid worldview dictate his reality. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people get trapped. They see something on their screen, they go into the world just assuming that's true instead of having a direct observation or truly listening right. to what For others sure. think. And you know that's what creates a lot of our. Division. That's what creates a lot of our turmoil. Is for that, sure because we're not listening
2: to each other. Of course, exactly. of course, we're going to hate each other because we're not <laughs> listening to what the other person thinks. It's terrible. Uh, I got to check out that interview. I, I I've only seen the sound bites where he like basically talks about the jab and things like that. And yeah, and even that was interesting. So yeah, he's probably a, a deep thinking guy if he actually, especially with all the the pressure, including from his own employment. You know, he yeah. was risking tens of millions of dollars uh, to do what he did. So you know, that's, that shows, you know, in my opinion, not just courage, but character. It's like, same with uh, Novak Djokovic, who's arguably the greatest men's tennis player of all time. And, you know, he's now in many instances, not been allowed to compete and, and potentially will not be able to achieve, you know, a goal that's unimaginable and having the most uh, singles, not singles wins, but uh, what are they called? Majors wins Majors win. Yeah. 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 of, Of any male tennis player in history. It's like, this guy is sacrificing deeply. And, it, and it's fascinating because I, I always watch PTI because I, I, I think that's where I found, fell in love with the concept of, uh, you know, arguing with people on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they were uh, they were, they just blast jo- Joker constantly. Like They despise him. He's reviled by these people. And it's just fascinating to me because like, have you even considered for a second what he's sacrificing? Like what he's actually risking to follow this belief like even if you don't agree with him even if you think the jabs are safe and effective and and they're the best thing that's ever happened can you not just respect someone who's like i'm going to sacrifice tens of millions of dollars and records that could put me in history books for my own beliefs like that's powerful it's like it's like muhammad ali with uh not wanting to go to vietnam it's like even if you supported the war can you not respect someone who's willing to go to jail to not go fight these people like that's deep. That's deeply held belief. I am always impressed by that, and I think that that history shows that those, the people that that follow their beliefs, even if they may be wrong, but just deeply held beliefs that they're willing to sacrifice for, that changes the world. That it that does. makes people pay attention. You can look at Gandhi or MLK or any of the people that have been assassinated for you know telling what they felt was the truth. Um, that's powerful. Powerful moments. I certainly I hope I don't end up on that path, but. I just I just think that, uh, you know, we should take those lessons seriously that, you know, living from principle is a beautiful thing.
1: Right. It's like, are you willing to make the ultimate sacrifice? And I think that's what being a martyr is truly about. It's not even an egoic thing necessarily. Mm -hmm, You -hmm. know, if you just stand strong in your principles and who you are, you know, you have to be willing to accept the consequences of that from a society that maybe is not interested in that right and i think right all the individuals you mentioned you know some of them paid the ultimate price but they wouldn't take back what they were doing just for the the fear of that right and i think
2: that's truly they they did it in the face of the fear that's what makes it so beautiful it's like martin luther king was receiving death threats from the fbi that's horrifying (laughs) you know like I feel like I'm pretty courageous and principled, but if I were to get a letter from the FBI telling me if I don't stop, you know, dot, 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 um, I would have to really think deeply. Like, do I want to continue to do this? It's it, it's incredible what these people did. Yeah. Uh, and I and I try and take that inspiration with into my own life. It's it's like there is just there's something bigger than just reacting to the fear of your own mortal coil, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm not even really religious, but there's just something really beautiful about believing that your life is bigger than your own life. Yes. You know, um, if that makes any sense.
1: Absolutely. It's like the identification beyond ego and see this larger picture and purpose and sort of yeah. the, the role that we can have. I mean, cause the domino effect of even just any small individual action that we take, I mean, it's, it's monumental. I always think about we were to look at a bird's eye view of our own lives and the impact that we've already had we'd be astounded and it's yes you know because it's, sure. not, it's not quantifiable and you know somebody like martin luther king jr obviously you can kind of quantify his impact
2: but at the same time you can't because there's so much there's so much to it it's it's well deep. and what's what's really neat is that it's timeless yeah. his impact is still being felt today that he inspires me even though you know i don't even i don't even agree with many of his his beliefs you know he was right. Basically a socialist, you know, like I'm very much not that. Um, but I can still see beauty in it. I can still see beauty in his sacrifice and his belief and what he's done. And if that changes me, and I change the world because of what he did, the inspiration that he gave me, then I may end up inspiring someone 40 years down the road that ultimately Martin Luther King is responsible for. Like there's a butterfly effect of of just yep. deeply held belief. Um, so a true principle. I don't know. It's like the, yeah. Uh,
1: I remember uh, when I was a big Tupac listener uh, in my high school days, big into rap music. I remember a oh, quote from him, and I still like Tupac. He said, um, "I'm not going to be the change of the world, but or I'm not going to be the one to change the world, but I guarantee I'll spark the mind that does." And you know, it's, oh, that's, that's awesome. It's that same principle, right? And you know, that's that's
2: so cool. I, I forgot about that quote. I I listened to Tupac like religiously in high school. Yeah. He was so so inspirational to me too. Um, yeah. I, that's beautiful man i really i really think that you know D- dave smith he is the heir apparent to ron paul ron paul's moment in 08 the yeah. debate stage with giuliani is the reason that dave smith is now doing what he's doing i'm doing what i'm doing because of what dave smith and ron paul have done hopefully there's a few people that feel inspired by by my work and end up doing something more and it's just like even if we aren't the ones that uh, that get the glory who cares it's like we are it's because we are, we are working, um, you know, with less ego in mind, I'm not going to say totally ego less, but right. less ego in mind, because there are things that we value more than anything, you know, so much that we would die for them. Like that is, that's such a powerful thing. There's no, it's almost impossible to be egoistic in that fashion. You know, like if you're going to die for it, like, well, then you can't be ego. Right. Cause exactly, you're not going to be around to appreciate it. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um yeah i think that that i think that's true uh th- see now i'm feeling way more hopeful i feel like we're gonna we're gonna win this we'll be yeah right.
1: like this has been this you know this has been a big like white pill podcast to be honest <laughs> with you i didn't know if that that was gonna be the path that we took but i definitely i agree with you man i feel that same exact sentiment and that's you know, awesome the, the direction we're moving like it, i i think the dominoes have already started falling and you know we can't predict what's gonna happen and even if it's not in our own lifetimes i still think we are setting a foundation for freedom to thrive you know whether even even if there is a total systematic uh i guess what could you say infringement upon liberties on a larger scale than what we're seeing now there are still going to be those pockets of liberty that were rooted in the work that we're doing now that were founded based on exactly you know exactly what it is we're doing now and based on that small, even that small movement, you know, the pendulum is bound to swing back in the opposite way. So from that small, those small pockets, you'll have a larger movement that's eventually created. And
2: and central plant planning inevitably collapses in, in on itself. So those small pockets will become bigger and bigger pockets in that period. And they very much could be, you know, reading in the fed, you know, in their inspirational phase, when they're formulating these plans, or they could be listening to part of the problem, or whatever, you know, like this, Mm -hmm. like there will be a butterfly effect of, of this movement that exists today. And, uh, I'm just grateful to be, you know, a a fraction of it. It just feels, it feels more purposeful than I've ever felt. And I was making enormous amounts of money as, as an entrepreneur. Um, and it doesn't even, it pales in comparison to the amount of gratification I get from doing what I do now. So I, uh, that, that to me tells me that I'm on the right path. And let's, let's hope that it leads to a a better tomorrow. We'll see.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I I feel the same way, man. And I, I, even if the, even if tomorrow isn't a little better, I think the next day will be. So, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. So awesome, man. This has been awesome to have this conversation and, you know, connect we're definitely aligning in our vision of what, you know, what we're creating right now. So,
2: yeah, no, it was great. Great to meet you, man. You're, you remind me, you're like, uh, you're like the libertarian Duncan Trussell. You took me down a, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know if you're familiar but yeah you t- <laughs> you took me down very much the uh the the spiritual kind of side of of why I, I do what I do and I don't you know I don't talk about it all that often because I don't know it just feels too grandiose you know mm-hmm. almost but if it happens organically it just feels right so yeah yeah right.
1: I, I absolutely agree man well and let's I was gonna say let's definitely plan on staying in touch and connecting more and where absolutely. where would you want to send you know anybody who is from my podcast new to your work where would you send them to connect with you or your own show uh where can they sure. uh where can they
2: find you at at liberty lock pod on twitter i am almost at fifty thousand followers so if you guys could uh follow me before i get nuked i'd appreciate that <laughs> uh and then liberty lockdown if you just search that on any podcatcher or youtube or odyssey or wherever else uh you should find it um what else oh i have uh sticks Hexenhammer and 666 who's this huge youtuber who I love uh, debating Dave Smith on my show on September 4th uh, on Trump's legacy. And that is going to be probably the biggest episode I've ever done. I'll, I'll be the moderator, which is insane because I'm way too opinionated, opinionated <laughs> to be a moderator, but I'm going to do my best. So hopefully uh, your audience will check that out. It'll be a barn burner. I think, I think that thing is going to be just enormous because those both those guys are two of the best debaters I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and they're both brilliant, just whip smart. I, I have no idea how it's going to play out. I can't wait to watch it and I'm going to be on it. So that's even cooler. <laughs>
1: Dude, that's, that's awesome. No, oh, man, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link all of your uh, everything you just put in my episode description. And I was going to say awesome. to, the, to all the listeners, I I'm very selective in what I listen to because, you know, I, I recognize where tr- I, I recognize truth and authenticity. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, you know, I recommend your show to everybody who's listening to this because I, I see the, awesome. the, the true value in it and you know the work that you're doing hey, and,
2: and vice versa thank you so much man i can i can tell a true believer myself so um actually uh, go ahead and leave your plugs because I, I think i'm gonna throw this up on the audio version of my show
1: All hey, right, sweet man yeah I, so i mean you can find me on instagram at evan mcdermott or at on twitter at evan underscore mcdermott and then the podcast itself the fifth dimension i mean i'm a little uh I'm almost thrown off YouTube, so I would recommend any audio platform. You know, Apple Podcast, Spotify, yeah, all the different. That's the way ones. to go. You know, just type in the Fit Dimension and you see my name, Evan McDermott. It's going to be right there. So, um, yeah. you know, that, that's where that's where I'm at. So, awesome, man. It's
2: thank you, thank you again, brother. It was uh, it was a deep dive, but it uh, it left me feeling more hopeful. So that's always a good sign. Oh yeah, white
1: <laughs> white, white pills on a Tuesday afternoon. I can never complain Let's go. about that, right? <laughs>
2: let's go all right man thanks again
1: all right thanks man
2: big shout out to everybody that's been with me since jump street appreciate
0: y'all Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your Liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you are riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening. Scared Hollywood Lefties lyrical in A type with Luke Might bring them nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit